to the Polygon Show. I'm Samantha Rishmore. I'm going to wrap you in a sheet. <laughs> and I'm here today with Jeez. Allegra Frank, <laughs> Chelsea Stark. I don't want to be here. And Ashley O. Hi. Hey. When uh, Chelsea and I were walking downstairs, <laughs> I was telling her, what was the thing that I just said? And you were like, your energy is so evil. <laughs> because you like said, saying. I'm not even repeating it because it's gross. What? I want to hear it. She said a, oh, tit- yeah. she said a tidbit nipply again. No. It's a tit nipply. Stop it. <laughs> she was like, your energy is so evil. Like, she just said it so matter of fact. That's like, more evil than <laughs> me <laughs> quoting splicers from Bioshock. Yeah. Which is- I'm going to do for the rest of the day. No. Yeah. Anyway, surprisingly, we're not actually talking about Bioshock today. I don't even remember how this came up. Uh, we will be talking about Final Fantasy VIII because it is the anniversary of Ashley's favorite game. Uh, and as promised last week, then we will go into crime time and discuss the other Netflix shows that we did not get to last week, such as the Ted Bundy tapes and Abducted in Plain Sight. So that's going to be heavy. Uh, and then after that, we're going to go back to games and talk about Hotline Miami, which Ashley has just played for the first time. Yes. But first, of course, again, <laughs> Final Fantasy VIII, your favorite game. The game you've been waiting to talk about since you were 11 years old. I don't think I've stopped talking about it, but I have definitely restrained myself because nobody cares to hear it and... Now this is my time, and no one can interrupt me. It's Ashley O'Clock. We it's are all a my captive audience. Time for this twenty-year-old is Ashley RPG. not entitled to the sweat from her brow? <laughs> no, <laughs> says the editor in chief of Polygon.com. Um, actually, he didn't. He, I mean, she has no. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't think he's aware <laughs> that it's on her website. Anyway, tell us what you did. Um, I just did a really general retrospective on why I'm still thinking about it, even now, 20 years later. Uh, there are actually a lot of reasons that I could not fit in that because a very good editorial guidance saying, try to keep it like under a thousand words. Meanwhile, my brain is just rearing from like, <laughs> okay, so I guess we'll cut it from 7,000 to 1,000. I know, a- Ashley's treaties over here is going to be... <laughs> Like the there's the secret Google Doc with all the words. <laughs> Fifty reasons why Unabridged. Ashley loves FF8. Number ten will shock you. <laughs> Unabridged. Uh, there actually is a great deal of other stuff that I wrote just because I was like I just need to type this out and remember it. But um, historical, boring context, but not really. It was the first PlayStation game. In the Final Fantasy series that used uh, CG, like computer graphic cutscenes. And mm. I remember I actually did, I looked this up on YouTube. I looked up a TV commercial for Final Fantasy VIII that came out. And it's the the same guy, God, I keep forgetting uh, the name of the guy who does all the movie trailer voices. He oh, passed away, though. Yeah, um, it was like Don something. Andrew Ryan. Andrew Ryan. <laughs> so he voiced it. He passed away when you killed him. It was just. Don LaFontaine, that's his name. Wait, his name is LaFontaine? I think it's Don LaFontaine or Don Fontaine or something. Frank Fontaine. Anyway, sorry. (laughs) uh, Would you kindly continue telling us about Final Fantasy VIII, Ashley? Yeah, the the opening scene with the beach was like 
burned into my brain and I remember thinking like this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. I have never seen water like this ever. And I feel like that kickstarted my obsession with uh, computer graphic water um, because <laughs> the same year I know I'm DVD but Chrono Cross came out and that also has a beautiful CG beach scene. Anyway, beautiful scenes, weird characters. Um, I was looking at screens of this game, and there are a lot of small moments you forget about. Like, there was one I tweeted about last night that there are these hockey players that are actually, um, you have to fight them because you'll go into random encounters in this, uh, quote, like, enemy garden, which is your military academy, and... You know, they have an ice rink because, yeah, why not? They they have competitive sports there. They got a tennis court. Why shouldn't they have an ice rink? You get there. You cross the ice rink because you're going to the hidden draw point. But guess what? <laughs> a bunch of hockey team players, uh, team players, I guess, uh, accost you. They don't really say anything. They're called hockeyists. But you have to defeat them like any other monster, which I think is pretty excessive. <laughs> Like you are trying to go, so you can check this room for Spall extra has spells. A gun That's what I'm saying. It's like this guy comes up to comes up to him and he's like, "Hey, man, like, sorry, but like, we're in the middle of practice." And then he gets cut down by this gun blade, and then so it gets set on fire by a girl with nunchucks, and then gets punched to death with a guy with a face tattoo. And then we go, we rob them of their spells, then we leave, we exit, and we have essentially severely injured and or killed their entire hockey team, and now they are no longer Division One. Sucks. I was going to say, how is this school going to get funding for its future hockey teams if they're all dead? Wait, hold on. It's fucked up. Hold on. So the entire hockey team is gone? No, but I imagine so. Because (laughs) especially if you've had multiple encounters. So Mm. I like to imagine that if I get into two random encounters total, that's like, that's six people. That's a lot of people already. That's like your lineup. So I feel like... At first, I thought you said like the totality of the team was destroyed, and then you were just like, "So they're not D one anymore." So it's like, did they just get downgraded to D two because everyone is dead? Like, pretty much. Yeah, it's not good. It's not a great is situation. It, is it like in you know where you don't see them as you're walking around the ice, and then you come across them, and it like does the like invisible yeah. encounter, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Hockey team. That's exactly what That's happens. That's ridiculous. And everyone thought I photoshopped it, and I was like, "Nope." You can look them up in the bestiary. They are called slappers. <gasps> It's weird. I didn't make it up. That's just what they're called. <laughs> it's kind of. Um, but anyway, besides that, really, that's what I mean. Like this RPG, that's a combination of like magic and sci-fi. Really, just de- sometimes you're like, this. Why did you put this in here? Um, and that's really wonderful. I think that's a, a very charming feature of that. And also, I know people weird. had, um, yeah, talked about the or criticized rather the localization of it and they're like oh it's just really bad and like the, you know some of the speech is really unnatural and I was like on the contrary I think it had one of the best localizations and I also think that with you know some of the maybe like mistakes or weird translations that they make which isn't a ton always seems really kind of charming to me mm-hmm. and it's kind of strange now that I, I feel like there are certain indie games that are trying to replicate that charm of you know having like weird uh, grammar or typo or I don't know and it's like a weird thing to try to recreate where like I found it like the earthbound kind of theme not necessarily yeah. like I don't know and I think that Undertale was like an homage to that, but at the same time, there's like this 
when I'm playing Final Fantasy VIII and there are, you know, certain like back and forths, you're just like, but this is what makes it so great. But it's mm -hmm. also great because in a way it was authentically that way. It wasn't trying to be something. I thought about Undertale that sense? when you mentioned that and how it intentionally uses bad grammar and um, like LOL mm -hmm. to what, what's that called? Like abbreviations chat speak yeah yeah, yeah. um that that did make me think of that it does i'm sorry i just veered off topic this is ff8 hour i've been so <laughs> just conditioned to not talk about it's all about bubbling FF8. up <laughs> can i ask a quick question about that please <laughs> okay when was the last time you played it it was i think maybe three months ago oh Wait, wow how? um it's on my so i use my ps3 and i still have my discs wow oh. Oh, nice. nice. Do they have it as like a PS1 classic on the store for yes, PS3? Yes, they, they do. do. Okay. They do. It is, I think it's like under $10, obviously, mm. which is ridiculous. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> obviously. Four discs uh, for $10, that's a deal. It's such a deal. Such a deal. And like, I feel like this game really cemented in my head, maybe because I was just, it is a very grindy game, unfortunately, um, at a lot of parts, but... I just feel like every game after that, I was like, oh, RPG, it's 50 hour game, 50 hour game. Pokemon Let's Go, 50 hour game. Is that the why you're you playing play it? it like it's a 50 hour game? <laughs> I mean, I think I've approached maybe the 48 hour mark now. <laughs> I, so, you know what? I sympathize with Ashley because I'm now on hour 39 of Pokemon Go. What's going on? I'm what not, are you doing? You're just speedrunning the game. I'm 25 hours in and I, was, I feel like I'm taking too this long. This is an awesome game's done quick, Allegra. This is. <laughs> awesome games done normally <laughs> i always thought you were supposed to play pokemon games forever yeah i mean yeah but you gotta you beat it in like an hour you gotta and then right no catch them all you gotta grind <laughs> i have a question yes. about so in your final fantasy 8 piece you chose to write about this weird dream sequence thing yes. that happens why did you choose to write about that specifically I, okay so what happens is that random moments with squall in your party they'll pass out you'll hear this weird like noise and then they all yeah it's like a weird noise that they all sort of hear they're like ah, ah, and they like crumble to the ground they fall over and then they go into this dream sequence and they think it's a dream it's actually not it sort of is but they're actually back in time and it centers on Laguna a man who is a, a soldier in the Sorceress War for the Galbanian side. He used to be a journalist. He's just kind of like thrown in there. He got drafted in there. He's like what the fuck. Him and his two friends Kiros and Ward are like going on adventures, like in the war. And then, you know, all like Squall and his party are like, what the fuck is going on? Who are these people? I don't know what's going on. And I think like the best part about that is that initially when I first played it, I was so annoyed by it because I just wanted to get back to the main game. Because I, yeah. I was like, who are these people? I don't care. They're weird old people. I just want to get back to my hot teen squad. <laughs> so I didn't give a fuck. And then, you know, playing it over and over, obviously, over time, and then now at like 30 years old, as I'm playing these sequences, I'm like, you know what? Actually, Laguna is the best character oh, yeah? in this fucking series. And I did not realize that until later later on, and I don't think I could have appreciated that until now. But um, I think that that was like also mentioned for me as a weird mechanical thing too, of like, in no other Final Fantasy do you interrupt your main party with a, a side story or an arc that like is, ne is not explained immediately to the player. Mm -hmm. So you have no context for it and 
I just think that it was a big risk to even do something like that because everyone was holding their breaths after Final Fantasy VII was on the PlayStation. They're like, what crazy thing will come next? It'll be amazing. And then, so I imagine that they're going to be under a lot of pressure, but I'm just interested in why the sequence exists. And like, there are cool things of like, if you're at this excavation site and you drop something or you open a, like a series of doors in a particular way, it will affect it so that when Squall and his party come through, You'll have access to certain items or open like secret areas or something mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, that's my long-winded explanation. My question was going to be just based off what you're saying about Final Fantasy VII and how this basically there was a lot of pressure on Square after that game came out. But from everything you've described and everything I know about Final Fantasy VIII, it does sound like such a dramatic deviation. Like in terms of the story, based off you know what you were just saying about the side story, the gameplay being really, really different, the characters being a lot different, in a lot of good ways, but also, why do you think that Square went in such a dramatic, you know, like different direction from Final Fantasy VII? Have you read anything about that, or any thoughts on that? Um, I feel like I read in our fantastic Final Fantasy VII oral history, that uh, <laughs> no, but like a after Final Fantasy VII, I think there was a lot of pressure on even like the, on Numura, the character, the lead character designer slash artist, um, and I think they really wanted to go a different direction um, and lean hard into it. I mean, I know they already did with Seven, right? Because it's this like gloomy, like post almost post well, I guess technically pre-apocalyptic, <laughs> but you know this grungy urban setting, right? And it's kind of some people call it cyberpunky, which I. Uh, kind of dispute. Um, but yeah, 8 is very bright, and I think they wanted to do something specifically with um, like student mercenary, like military esque. Um, but I don't know. I think like that the, being the big, so. The big trope of student mercenaries that you see <laughs> everywhere. Isn't that fantastic? I think it's just great. They, mm -hmm. I know they said they wanted to mix that with uh, quote, uh, school days. Mm -hmm. So like it yeah. seems very like if you watched, you know, any amount of anime that takes place in like a high school, it does have like that same kind of feeling in the very beginning. You're introduced in the school. It has the same kind of like bell chime. Is it Persona-esque at all? Um, It's not like because Persona-esque, at least with five, was like real Japanese schools. This is like the. It's a military academy. I don't yeah. know. That's pretty it much. sounds vaguely, vaguely like Evangelion or something. Where I guess so. Like these kids are in a school that they are very blatantly picking students out of to pilot these horrible robots in a war and <laughs> all of that. I think there's um, something to be said about that and putting these teens into war, which is another thing that I um, really wanted to talk about, but again, like limited space. Uh, I think a huge like metaphor or plot device that they use, right, is that uh, you use guardian forces, which are these summons. So in the other Final Fantasy games, you can summon spirits, right? They'll come down to help you deal a fuck ton of damage, leave. Um, this one, unfortunately, it's animations. You can't escape, so you got to sit there. <laughs> but there, the lore is that the, the more you use that, the more room it takes up in your brain. So you actually kind of, there's like an amnesia effect that happens over prolonged use, which is why they don't remember that they were all in the same orphanage and that they were all friends. They had no idea because they're using this thing all the time. And it's this whole, I, I feel like, That's great depressing. metaphor. It's depressing, <laughs> yeah. but it's also, I think, like, 
a great and fantastic metaphor for like how war is stripping away your innocence, literally your childhood away from you. And you're just nothing but a soldier. Like that's what you are. And the fact that, you know, all of them are teens and so young and it's already happening to them and sort of deconditioning them is really interesting. God, that's good. If you have one (laughs) thing to tell listeners about Final Fantasy VIII, what would it be? <laughs> the look that Ashley I guess, just gave me. <laughs> I guess to make it maybe easier, keeping in mind that you have talked a lot about Final Fantasy VIII throughout the almost two years of this show. And I will continue. <laughs> what? Did you have a follow-up? Did you have a question? Like, oh. No, that wasn't a, that wasn't a follow-up. I mean, just, okay, so like Based saying, on everything else that you've already said about yes, Final Fantasy VIII. that's what I mean. Like, since you've told us a lot about it over the years. God, that sounds scary. I have commentary. What would you say is like the big takeaway for the 20th anniversary for all of us, literally all of us who have never played it, which is almost everyone? (laughs) I know, right? This is like a, I, this comes with a caveat of like, I know you probably won't play it, but in the event that you do, it's just, I think that the important uh, thing about enjoying this game is to not take it super seriously. And I know that's difficult with, grindy or long parts but I think it's just a really good example along with Parasite Eve and very representative of in my opinion Squaresoft's like golden era of PlayStation RPGs and I think like this is the apex of that golden era in the most dramatic way possible so if everybody else is wearing like a cool like elegant you know uh, dress right a slim fit dress okay (laughs) t-shirt dress linen dress Final Fantasy VIII comes in with a gold fucking fur trimmed ass robe and is like, I don't care. I'm here. I am, you're gonna deal with me being here. And there's long ass nails with a lot of glitter. And it's like, yep, I'm here, bitch. Final- I'm the sorceress. Final Fantasy is extra. It's so good though. I think it's it's really extra in the end because like that's the classic like this is the real villain that you found out only. 10 minutes before the game ended. Goddamn Japanese and, games. Right? And then you're like, oh, okay. Oh! And then, because they're, usually their character animation is like really, really elaborate and very extra. You're just like, holy mother of God. That's what I would say. I am on fanfiction.net. Ah! <laughs> That's the natural place to be going. <laughs> you reminded me about a, a fic that I, I wanted to, that I remember reading about uh, Final Fantasy VIII. Stop but reading fanfiction. I'm not going to look it up right now. I'm not going to look it up right now. Cool. Well, you can find Ashley's story about Final Fantasy VIII on Polygon.com, and it's going to be in the show notes, too, as well as the tweet with the hockey players in it. I have confirmed that it is real. It is just there. And Fight the Mighty don't Ducks. Know. They just don't know. Yeah. Fight the Mighty Ducks. Oh, yeah. Favorite part of that game, right, is where Squall wipes out the Mighty Ducks, and that's why there was no sequel. Their <laughs> posture is terrible, and their number is all zero. They're all player <laughs> double zero. <laughs> Really unfortunate. <laughs> All right, it's crime time. Crime time. So Netflix has really been uh, pushing their crime documentaries super hard lately. Um, and that they also just got uh, the sequel, the second season of American Crime Story from Ryan Murphy, which is about uh, Johnny Versace's murder on there as well. But the two, I think, that have been in the news the most lately have been Abducted in Plain Sight and the Ted Bundy tapes, both of which 
contain the, my content warning for this segment. Horrible things, <laughs> <laughs> including like child abuse and sexual assault, and also murder. Straight up murder. Straight up a lot of murder. Um, we're gonna talk about them. Allegra. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's kind of interesting. So true crime definitely has been a popular thing for American popular culture for a long time. Like my roommate has been watching a lot of, a lot of Law and Order SVU yeah. and Law and Order the original one, I guess, which I do not like those shows, but you know, like those are 20 years old now almost or SVU is. Like people love true crime stuff. Um, but then with Serial, the podcast, uh, not the beloved food, um, with Serial, it sort of became like a bigger cultural phenomenon. And we've seen that wax and wane. So it is kind of interesting that like we're at a another hot moment for it right now for that genre. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Netflix definitely is like a vanguard in that as well as HBO, which is doing a serial documentary in March. But a yeah, serial documentary about serial or about um, serial so it's killers. about the case in serial oh, the okay yeah so like based on that case um but yeah so i think like the interesting bit is that the ted bundy tapes and abducted in plain sight and also the ted bundy movie by the guy who made the ted bundy tapes mm-hmm. which is coming to netflix later this year all kind of like premiered in the same like three week span yeah um so yeah i'm a true crime junkie like actual documentary true crime stuff. So I was like, give me this stuff. This is my comfort. Uh, so every night before I went to Allegra bed. takes a massive hit off her true crime. <laughs> I mean, I totally feel that. I agree with you. I've seen everything there is to <laughs> right? see. It's hard not to. Yeah. Like it's very disturbing stuff and it shouldn't be so easy to watch. And it's not inherently easy to watch and it's not comforting but like I can just watch the jinx did you guys ever watch that show on HBO oh my god I started it but I couldn't get into it oh god so good and it's really effed up and scary I'm just like you know I'm bored I want to watch the jinx I feel like I just want to get wrapped in a blanket and watch that what is that about so it's about Robert Durst who was accused of killing his GF his wife GF and that was the one not from that long ago yeah that that Mm. led to like new evidence being uncovered. Yeah, he like got arrested again because in the last episode of The Jinx, he literally admitted to the crime in the bathroom while he was on Well, spoiler alert. I'm sorry. It's real life. (laughs) You got to watch it. It's crazy. I will watch it. Yeah, that that was widely reported. I don't feel like that's a spoiler. (laughs) Spoiler for reality. No, but that's like, I love doing stuff like that. Like when you're watching the the Ted Bundy thing and then they're like, well... He's guilty. I'm like, oh, spoiler alert. Yeah, wow. Literally. Yeah. So I was watching the Ted Bundy tapes like every night before I went to bed for a while. Um, maybe that's why I have sleeping problems. But when I got to the last episode, when he was like in court, like on trial, mm-hmm. I literally was like watching it. Yeah. Like tensely being like, I mean, I know he went to jail and like was put to death. Yeah. But is he going to get put to death? Like, I don't know. Are they going to sentence him? See, and like, you didn't know that he escaped twice. I did right? not know that. And then I did not know that. I can't, that I didn't know either. I can't stress to you how much I didn't know that. So when it happened again, yeah. I screamed <laughs> I in my room. I had to rewind it. I was like, what the hell? Again? I no? screamed yeah. that he just 
he just he just jumped out? The part I did that was like so ludicrous and crazy that I was like, okay, y'all, next episode. But the part that really got me, I think we were talking about this, is in the last episode when he's in court and he brings his I keep calling them GF and BF, and like people are just like, Yeah, no, I have a GF. And I'm like, okay, cool, it's just GF now. So he has his GF on the stand as like a character witness for him. And he was his own lawyer. He like fired his lawyers Dumbass. anytime there's like a small like moment where the you know prosecution was like no we can def- we can poke holes and then he'd be like bye lawyer you suck so he was like his own lawyer and he was talking to the girl and at one point he literally like approached the stand and he was like are you in love with me and she's like yes and he's like would you marry me and she's like yes and it's like okay and then literally like he proposed like that was him proposing oh god and he like had a ring well, what he- a fucking psychopath and then they got married they have a kid I mean they it's it's he was a master manipulator like that's yeah. I haven't watched the show, but I've read some news coverage. I mean, I think the reason we don't know about this is it happened in 79. So like a bit I of think what, what boggles my mind is that they allowed him to represent himself. Yeah, I you just, are allowing a sociopath to 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 represent himself. I just don't get yeah, it. I don't think you can stop someone from wanting to represent the themselves. The thing is, because yeah. again, yeah, like Ashley and I have talked about it, like. At the end, after they've convicted him and they're like, okay, bye, like electric chair time, the judge (laughs) straight up says, I hold no animosity toward you, Mr. Bundy. Like, this is just the way the news goes, but like, I have no beef with you. That makes me so fucking mad. It was like, he literally is like, "You're, you're a decent dude. I mean, technically you're not, but like you're you're cool. Like if if you life could have worked, been something else if you hadn't killed thirty that's what women. He, that's yeah. literally what he said. He's like, you're clearly a very talented man, and it's really sad that you, you know you chose to go this way instead Fuck of the off. other way. Yeah, I was like, he murdered these women. I what? know. What? So my big problem with this show is exactly that in that it's so focused on like Ted Bundy as a character quote unquote and from his perspective because the tapes are literally like there was a journalist who sat in his cell with him and recorded hours and hours and hours of conversation with him which sounds frightening Um, so it's very much predicated on like who he was and his life and leading up to the trial from his point of view Mm -hmm. and because he's such a master manipulator as Chelsea just said it's like I don't want to say the director was manipulated by the character of Ted Bundy that he was, you know, investigating. Yeah. But uh, it kind of by like well, I don't want to say it, I, but I think I think that you can say that cuz I yeah. definitely feel like it is very human to try to relate to things the more that we learn about them. And yeah. another example of this I think would be Myself and Ernest Hemingway, <laughs> who was not a serial killer, but like was a yeah. person who file account like definitely did a, said a lot of shit that I don't agree with believed a lot of shit that I don't agree with uh, was misogynist racist etc um, and I that I, I can still find ways to empathize with him and part of that is because I know so fucking much about him I've mm. spent I've invested so much time in yeah. like digging into his personality it's like well how could I not feel at in some way related to this person, which is a dangerous instinct, I think. I'm not saying that this this is great. We should all relate to the sociopaths that we know. I'm saying that this is um this is something that we should be aware of and kind of acknowledge yeah. in ourselves. I definitely agree. And I think he probably the director, I think his name is Joe Berlin or Berlinger or something. Um, I think he went in sort of wanting it to be this 
interrogation of Ted Bundy and who he was and, you know, investigating into his psyche. But I think it definitely became the sort of thing <laughs> where it was like, OK, I've learned so much about this person that I'm starting to. And then they empathize. fell in love. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. No. But the problem is with the show is like they don't really touch on the victims. Like they're very much like, OK, and then he killed this woman. And then, oh, also 14 other women. Like, oops, you know, there's not a lot of detail there. This, and is, the, the, well, this is the exact shit that Ted Bundy wanted. Well, the thing is, yeah, exa- I mean, to what Chelsea's saying, like it is still based on his tapes and it's yeah. his narrative that he chooses to so like you know in some ways I can understand that from the director's point of view of like it being too broad to yeah focus on everything so instead yeah focusing on these like tapes that Bundy was recording yeah but I think that he kind of suffers from the same thing on a more intense level that we as an audience are, which is this kind of, um, I can describe it as like a, almost like a vacuum and like a void where like you are so interested and like it's so foreign to you Mm -hmm. that you are enticed by it. So Mm -hmm. like there's a kind of a luring effect there because you like keep walking closer because you're like, what? What is that? I'm trying to, and it's like, you know, kind of a car crash thing. But if you're the director and you're like, you know, putting together this documentary with hours and hours and hours of footage, Mm -hmm. you're really going to get sucked into that void there. And I think that it kind of shows a little bit. I think there's also an aspect of like when you're putting in the work to do all that research, you think that's really cool. Like you want to show people what you've done and what you found out, especially if it's something new that they haven't heard before. And I think that there's like a, a line to walk there in tone where it's you can be like, look at this really cool fact that I uncovered about Ted Bundy. And like, oh, that fact might be about a woman that he murdered. Um, yeah. So there's kind of like a, a creator pride there that comes into it. Yeah. So to sort of contrast that with um, Abducted in Plain Sight, have you guys watched that, yes. Ashley? Oh, my freaking That was God. truly, like, disturbing. Like, I felt an actual chill while watching right. it. It G- was Give me the summary because everyone's just said, the only <laughs> thing I've heard about this is, oh my God, freaky. <laughs> my mom <laughs> was texting because I she like just found out about Netflix somehow. And so she was like, give me things to watch. And so I told her, oh, watch Fire Festival. And she was like, okay, cool. And then the next day she was like, oh, you know, there's this documentary I just read about called Abducted in Plain Sight. Makes Fire Festival look like a Christmas party. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! Um, which is true. It's Liz, wild. calm down. We should give Betty an entertainment column on our <laughs> website. Yeah, so I'll be pitching that later. But um, basically, abducted in plain sight is about a family. Um, god, I forgot their last name. The Burfuls or something. Whatever. There's a family, and they're pretty religious. I think they're Mormons, and they're they have family friends. Um, this guy B. Broberg. Yes, Broberg. And, and then yes, they are Mormons. Yes. So they have a family friend, and the family friend is like, not well, I think we can say. And he gets really obsessed with the Broberg family. And part of that is like he says he's in love with the wife. Well, he's a pedophile. Yeah, he's in love with the wife, and he is in love with her daughter, who is like 11. And he takes her out on like little trips all the time and the family's just like that's cool and then he's like I'm gonna take her horseback riding and they're like okay and he takes her and just doesn't come back (laughs) so basically essentially like he kidnaps her and 
brainwashes her into thinking she needs to have sex with him in order to save her family. And then it just gets this is wilder horrible. from there. It's very horrible. Yeah. Yeah, that's why we kept saying, oh my God, oh my God. That part of it is really gross and upsetting, but then it just goes to even further disturbing places. And for me, versus the Ted Bundy thing, like we kind of know about Ted Bundy, like if you're like me and like reading about serial killers and stuff like, okay, Ted Bundy, like I know that deal. And so even though I watch the show and I'm like, okay, you don't focus enough on the victims, at least I as someone who's studied that stuff knows about them and that Mm -hmm. aspect so I can critique it. But this is all I know about the Jan Broberg story. Mm -hmm. So I just have so many questions at the end because I think it's sort of the same thing where the documentarian buys into it a little bit. Like, not in the sense of, not in a bad way where mm-hmm. it's like he's buying into the pedophile story or whatever. It's more like he's not willing to, you know, ask the the counter argument side of it. That's what I I was overhearing our entertainment editor, Matt Patches, talking about it and how I think this documentary is about an hour and a half long, right? Yeah. And they don't really go into the question of the role that the church played in these in this family's lives and how both pressure from the community made them not want to denounce this guy that was seen as everyone's friend and also just that they're taught to be very trusting and at that time like in the what was it the 70s I think like 80s 70s yeah yeah there was just less consciousness about that your children could be abducted and raped by people like people are evil out there so they, they kind of just trusted without asking questions and I got the impression that the documentarian didn't necessarily push into the role that the church played yeah do you that happening do you think that the church had any significant role in that that's not really what I got from not like the church as an organization but just that they were so sheltered mm-hmm. um, and they were part of they well, were all part of the community. Yeah, so it was I, difficult to point I, to someone and say, like, he's kind of freaking us out. Well, yeah. I mean, I think, like, they live in um, in Iowa, and this was so long ago, and they mentioned early early on that it was the type of town where you don't keep your door locked. That's not mm-hmm. um, how the town is, like you said. And I think, though, they did show, I, I think, a good amount of, at least to me, it came off really sad that you're seeing both of her parents still utterly devastated, not just by the whole abduction thing, Mm -hmm. but mostly in like the disappointment they have in themselves for like, oh, like how could I have been so stupid? How could I have done that? And like, I think the first time you hear about it in this documentary where they were like, oh, like trusting and like, oh yeah, sure. They let that happen. You know, like I even found myself being like, what, what? But then, you know, I think like as it goes on, like that's just part of it really is, I think, to a painful degree, them not wanting to make a fuss. And they they use that phrase of like, well, I didn't want to make a big deal. I don't want to make a fuss. I don't want to worry anyone. Yeah. And like how much of actually, you know, yes, they were sheltered, but like that kind of sentiment can really blind and control somebody. I mean, not necessarily their fault, but. The whole, like, I just, I want to keep to myself, and I don't, maybe I'm the one that's wrong. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, maybe this is my mistake. I mean, that's that's also, like, the pattern that an abuser can put you in, is Mm -hmm. making you feel that your feelings of feeling upset are wrong. Yeah, and I think that 
that's extremely true. And the reason it's hard to see like a more quote unquote balanced view of everything that happened is they pretty much only talked to people who were directly involved in what happened. So a lot of those people are sort of damaged and like that that situation is so insidious that they're still dealing with the ramifications of it so it's really hard to see the forest for the trees when you were the person the victim like they're not going to necessarily psychoanalyze themselves or like be able to objectively critique their own behavior back then and they don't really have like any you know psychologists or some kind of you know social scientist involved in the documentary at all or at least interviewed so we don't really get a more balanced portrait. I don't know that that's necessarily the right word. I mean, I think that's so tough to say, too, because I'm yeah. pretty sure the the head of their church was interviewed and he offered absolutely it wasn't useful commentary at all. It was yeah. just like, oh, well, yep, he was a friendly guy. Uh, everyone really liked him. And uh, that was yeah. it. And I was just like, oh, great. Thank you so much. And yeah. like, it's tough because like. Other than that, which, like, yes, they were very church community oriented. So it's tough of, like, I think even the other people in the town, even if we interviewed them, they might have the same kind of blindness to it. Yeah, that's why I feel like a psychologist or something like I'm thinking of Fire Festival again, where they Mm. talk to, you know, people who don't necessarily know Billy McFarland, but were Mm -hmm. able to sort of look at his behavior and say, okay, this is symptomatic of it's you know, sociopathy. Yeah. So, <laughs> like a similar thing here of okay, I have nothing to do with these people or this town. I, like I wasn't indoctrinated by any of the the culture here, so I can say like what this person is saying is exactly like a pattern of abuse. Mm-hmm. Or I, I do wonder if that is like really dangerous though to do, like for a psychiatrist or something to offer that commentary without without meeting and doing their own medical investigation. Yeah. yeah, so I'm just curious if that was like a consideration at all because it is very much from the perspective of the people who are very deeply in it. So I came out like, yeah, wondering how could, like how was the church involved or just kind of how could you do this? Which is not a question with an answer necessarily. It's like really, really, and I mean, one of the, things you can boil it down to is like an extreme sense of peer pressure there. There's mm-hmm. clearly some tension there. And like, you know, even the parents said that, well, we didn't want like other members of the community to know about it. So whether or not like at at any point that any other community member knows about it, it's kind of like a, a maintaining a silence to be polite and not make waves, which was mm-hmm. the same, I think, reasoning behind we haven't called the police yet. Like to me, I'm just like, why would you not call the police? Like after 24 hours, like the fact that they Mm -hmm. waited maybe three days before they were like, "Mm, maybe we should call the cops. And like, sure. I can understand. I can like see my incredulousness at that on the one hand, but I think I can unfortunately like clearly see where they were coming from in that Mm -hmm. part of it was not wanting to accept that reality and putting that off indefinitely. Yeah. Yeah. Because once you call the police, it's very real. Is yeah. Is there? I she lives, by the way, Chelsea. That is good. That wasn't my question, but I'm <laughs> glad to know that. My question, and I'm not trying to judge anyone's entertainment uh, here, so that's not it. But is there a point to this? Like, is there something that we can glean from watching this story about you know something pretty horrific thirty years later, and and kind of like have it as an entertainment thing? Well, entertainment is a 
curious word. I mean, I think when I watch it, you're watching it for fun. You said it, you found it relaxing, and well, I don't know if I find it relaxing, but I do get very engrossed in these things. Yeah. So I think, um, God, I think you were saying it, Simone, or maybe Ashley, of like these are so out of the realm of our own plausibility. Like, I'm not. This is not happening to me. I mean, I don't want to be like. I wouldn't get abducted, but like, you know, it hasn't happened to me. I don't think the situation is happening to me at this point in my life. So seeing Ashley's car crash comment. Yeah. Like, well, it's something you can't help but to look at. So that's really fascinating to me. But then also just sort of like I find it very interesting from a psychological perspective, like how people operate on such a uniquely different level. Mostly why I wanted to watch that, because I'm curious to see, like, what are the patterns of that kind of thing. Like, what are the signals there? Are there, like, clues and just, like, looking at motivators? Yeah, I think to look at it and analyze... I mean, God forbid that happened to anybody, I know, but I think it's it's obviously a really ugly side of humanity, but I think it would behoove us to not... To just, you know... Mm-hmm. I don't think we should ignore something like that. Not pretend yeah. it didn't happen. I'm, yeah. I'm feeling kind of worse and worse about... Watching things like that mm-hmm. every year, I think, mm. not to, yeah, like not saying anything about either of you, but just about like like reading a lot. I, I read a lot about serial killers. Like I read their Wikipedia pages like everyone fucking does in the middle of the night. Um, but f- I don't know. There's some conflict that I have when it comes to it being a 90-minute long Netflix documentary that's next to a bunch of other Netflix documentaries, and I haven't quite untangled how I feel about that, because I think it's... And maybe maybe that's just my feeling about, like, this particular case, just because it is so flippin' over-the-top nuts, like, mm-hmm. what happens in it. Like, it, it feels very salacious, even if it's not presented that way. So there's a part of me that's like, ah, I don't know if I should looking at this but Mm -hmm. I mean to your point Ashley like things do happen and we should be aware of them but then on the other hand like there is I mean I I think it's great though that you are questioning like how you're consuming something or how Mm -hmm. something is being presented to you Mm -hmm. I mean I think there is like a really thin line of sensationalism with a lot of you know any kind of crime documentary that Mm -hmm. pops up on Netflix yeah Yeah, that's that's true I think definitely more people are airing on your side now of like there was this extreme saturation of true crime and I think we're even though it's kind of building back up slowly mm-hmm. it definitely plateaued at some point because I think a lot of people did have that same sort of reaction of okay this is tiptoeing into salaciousness or exhibitionist and mm-hmm. it's kind of gross now and I think we are better able to actually formally analyze these things for like is this towing a line is this glamorizing the mm-hmm. villain quote unquote um, I think having been in that whole true crime era we're now able to like yeah. see and pick it apart better. Yeah, I think it probably also has to do with just be- because these things are always so successful, especially when something is as uh, dramatic as Abducted in Plain Sight or the Ted Bundy tapes, because those things are always so successful, you know that there are producers out there who are like, all right, what's the next crime that we can get on TV? Not for reasons of like enlightening people about behavior like evil behaviors but just because like 
it's going to make money. It'll be successful. They'll watch it on Netflix. Like, eh. that's that's I mean, like the cynical part of me goes there and I don't want it to go there because yeah. I do actually think there there are some benefits in these thing in these situations. And there can be, especially if you're talking about something about preying upon children or in, mm-hmm. or things like that, where it's like just raising your fucking hand and being like, yo, this is a, this is a problem that parts of America have faced and still face. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Hey, cynicism. Cool talk. Uh, I, I to bring some levity and and a joke to this when I I have a funny thing that my childhood brain did, oh, which no. was uh, you watch Married with Children, right? As a uh, child, I have seen some episodes. <sighs> okay. Yeah. Well, whatever. Main, <laughs> yeah. main character is oh, Al Bundy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I never, as a kid, did not know that Ted Bundy was not a character on Married Witch. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> he thought he was the serial killer I, character. You know what? As a child, I always questioned why that guy's last name was Bundy. <laughs> I didn't even know that he was not. I mean, like, I was a children's kid. So I didn't know that there was a serial killer until much later in high school or something. <laughs> I feel you. Boy, or they just con- well, like came two people in my mind. I don't know, or the same oh, person. Oh no, the worst. Al Bundy, no, Al Bundy is dead. He's Bundy, so no, no. Wait, okay, but hmm. Well, when when Ted Bundy died in 1989, and Married with Children started in 1987. Oh, but he was murdering between 74 and 78. Okay, but when was he arrested? Doesn't matter. Watch the Ted Bundy tapes. Seventy-nine. I think he was arrested in 79. Oh, well, well he was yeah. arrested multiple times. Yeah. So Kept getting out of jail. Geez. Anyway, Ashley, uh, tell us about Hotline Miami that you started playing a couple uh, weeks ago. Yes, it coincided with my watch through of American Crime Story Versace, which I highly recommend. I must watch. God. Um, Ryan Murphy, the guy behind American Horror Story, is behind this season. I don't know if it was and the other two. He was behind the uh, first season. Uh, so OJ, well, Which is one of the best crime shows that I have ever watched. So I feel like life. The, the second season, really, it, you can see American Horror Story yeah. like, fusing itself into it. Anyway, Hotline Miami um, is... My version of everybody else's Celeste. Celeste was is like I actually bought Celeste, and I, geez, I mean, I know I died a bunch, but I just couldn't. It was just too frustrating. I couldn't click. get through it, and I just didn't think I could. There was nothing that was really anchoring me there. Mm-hmm. But with Hotline Miami, like I'm getting what everyone else is describing, and I'm like finally feeling it, like so late to the party. Yay! Which is just essential. It's like a it's a shoot 'em up, but it was it's a originally on PC. It was ported to PS4, where I'm playing it now. I don't think the controls are optimal for PS4. I think you really should play this on PC. However, you go in, and uh, essentially with the gameplay. You need to go through, uh, clear the floor, which is you know kill all the guys in the area, uh, in in one shot, right? You can't like di- you. So if you die, everybody comes back, and you start from the very beginning. Um, and the, this game encourages you to be very fast and very quick, um, and awards you for that. And this is, uh, I don't know why. I think I love, love, love the music, which really helps. Um, it has this very like dark retro synthwave soundtrack, and um, and the second one that I'm playing now, Hotline Miami Two, wrong number, has the aesthetic of like you know almost wrong like a number. late <laughs> '80s, early '90s like 
horror movie slash crime. Everything is really hyper-colored in both those games. Yeah, like neon, but also a lot of dark things. And it is um, it, it is very violent. And like I think that a lot of the... I just think it's hilarious because it's not always, always the same each time. So say um, in my mind, I'm like, all right, this is my path out of here. I figured out like, you know, go to this room first, then this one, this one. And like the funny thing is, is that sometimes the enemies are not always where they're supposed to be. So like sometimes like a third guy will just... I'll spend so much time hiding, biding my time, darting out. And this fucking guy who was never there the first 20 times just <laughs> casually like looks over and goes, boop, and I'm dead. Ah. Uh, which is enraging. But I think because it's so fast to restart, it's like just press X to restart and like, boom, you're there. So like I have done a thing where I've like literally just rushed. Sometimes like I just kill him in one shot, but sometimes it's like, poof, dead dead I'm like all right keep going keep going keep going um and I actually did think a lot of Russian doll when I was playing this as well because a lot of it is just going through the same thing and like progressing through the area is like maybe I won't figure out how to but like I have to keep dying so long enough so that I can continue to build on my current strategy and my current exit route so it's mm. like all right I'm taking this route out but then once say like I hit a corner I'm like where the fuck do I go? Oh, where are the least amount? Of- so like, it's a lot of like trial and error and continuing to like build on this chain of like, all right, this is how I'm gonna get out of here. And there's no like set way, right? You can go in guns blazing. Um, I feel like I do horribly at this game. I have to say, yes, by the way, I'm not great at this game, okay? <laughs> It'll grade you at the end of each uh, chapter when you're done, rank you on like killings, boldness, like time, flexibility, whatever not great at this but I just I keep trying and trying and then I got to the end of Hotline Miami and I got to the boss stage and I played it a couple times and I was like there is actually (laughs) no way I can do this I just I can't you know and like look I've got I've done this before with other games where it's like look I got to the end I just if I can't finish the technical part fine whatever I'll just look up the ending and I resigned myself to doing that for this game Mm -hmm. but strangely the next day I turned it on. I was like, well, fuck it. Like, why Why the hell not? I'll just do it. And then uh, I I did it. Yay. But, I'm so proud. But this, this like, sounds so simple, but I can't stress to you how deep in resign I was of like, oh, fuck. <laughs> like, I got, so, like, I really, really love that game. And I got so far and I really got the hang of it. And, like, I'm just not going to be able to beat it. This fucking sucks. And I did it. And phew, it was amazing. That's amazing. Congratulations. I'm playing the second one, which is a lot harder and more intense than the first one, which I love. Why and did they do that to you? I will talk that, talk that, talk about that <laughs> next week. How long was it, the first one, Ooh, to I th- beat? I think it depends on <laughs> like, how, how good you are. did it take you? I, I actually don't know. Um, I, I don't think that it shows your play time. Time but. stopped making any sense. And honestly, <laughs> I think that's part of maybe what eased me about that is that like nowhere does it tell you how long or how many times you though there is a trophy if you die like more than a thousand times you get a trophy called karma (laughs) of course i did (laughs) (laughs) i'm not great at this game i i think that's cool though i i mean oh i was gonna ask did you like the story of that game because it's got a lot of interesting things going on i thought it was left very open-ended and it was was supposed to be that way because I thought we were going to get like answers but I liked how like creepy and like dark and twisted it was with the animal masks that's my stuff that cemetery 
I'm sorry. <laughs> hey, everybody seen that new Pet Cemetery trailer? No. Yeah, okay. No, I'm sorry. Um, Hotline Miami is always one of those games that I feel about the way that I feel about cartoons from the 90s that are gross. <laughs> I understand. It's my horrible puritanical streak. It's it's just that, like, for me, what I really enjoyed about yeah. that, too, is that once you really get the hang of it and get confident, it will show and it will immediately reflect. Like, I've gone on a thing where I've, like, seamlessly, like, dropped a gun, picked another one up, and just like, kept killing, like, five people coming at me. Yeah. And it just makes you feel so powerful, like, once yeah. you figure it out. And then I think being able to see your confidence directly translated on the screen is very invigorating. I think it's what keeps me going. You're ready for Hollow Knight now. <gasps> no! Lord. I was going to say gotcha. that Hotline no. Miami sounds like the way I play Metal Gear. It is! You're supposed to play it like that. Sometimes you can do it, and I've gone in guns blazing, like, Rah! and they just yeah. immediately stab me, and I'm like, well, whatever. <laughs> All right, let's have a couple emails then, since we've got time. This is from Troy. To whom it may concern, I would like to know what everyone on the Polygon show thinks about the Nintendo World sections opening up within the Universal Studios theme park. Is it a good idea or a bad idea? Does anyone have a few theories about what might be inside the sections? Thank you for your time and patience. Who Troy? thinks it's a bad idea? Yeah. Who? Show them to me, Troy! <laughs> Bring them on the show. Debate them. Jesus, Troy. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm so freaking stoked. Let's go to World. Florida. So, what? Do they announce the sections already or no? No. No. Okay. So, all of you, if you could think of one attraction for this park, oh. I am thinking of Kirby Hot Air Balloon Ride. Oh, that's so cute. I was thinking of like a teacup ride, but it's Kirby, and you send different like cream puffs. Oh. <laughs> God, I was thinking of a teacup ride, but Yoshi eggs. Oh, yeah, that's good. I hate Ooh. teacup rides, though. Like, I hate them. So. I love them. I'm taking if, you on it with me. No, I will love throw spinning. up. Ew. <laughs> what if the teacup ride was Mario Kart? Ooh, they should have go-karts, though. Real fast. Yeah. What if the whole park was teacup rides? <gasps> oh, God, barf everywhere. <laughs> they should have a Donkey Kong one that's like a log flume. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love log flumes. <laughs> me, too. Oh, my God, that's such a good idea. I'm, like, mad. <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> like, you're literally, like, going through jungle japes or whatever. They're playing the DK rap the whole time. I'm str- The DK rap the whole time? Yes, yes, They couldn't yes, even yes. play the little song with the bongos. They have to play no, the freaking no. rap. DK rap. The whole rap. God damn it. There should be a big, <laughs> bouncy castle, and it should be Yoshi. That would be so cute. I was thinking about, like, is there any way to incorporate Splatoon? Can we have some kind of, like, paint Paintball. paintball. Yeah. Yeah. Some kind of paint. Well, paintball, they don't usually have paintball at amusement parks. Oh, you could have they like could one of those here. shooter rides where you're like oh. in a little car and you're going on rails, like an oh. on-rail shooter ride, basically. Yeah, I actually went on the Buzz Lightyear one of those. I love that one Whoa. at Disneyland. Yeah, it's really fun. It's really fun because you you get scored on shooting targets on this Buzz Lightyear ride. That and would you're be sitting great. down. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yay. It's I love <laughs> that. I would love to sit down. You sit, you sit down, but your your little car rotates to the targets, and then you shoot them. And then you, you literally get a score, and you always think you did way better than you did. You did Is there do a good. scoreboard? That would be too mm-hmm. competitive. Wait, really? Yep. Yeah. Oh, at the end of the ride, it shows who did the best. <laughs> I went with my friend last June after E3, um, and I thought I was doing okay. Yeah. And she was like in the top six or something. And Damn. I was like, I got maybe 100,000 points less than her. Jeez. <laughs> like, I hate this game. 
I want, I know this isn't like a theme park thing, but a Ninja Warrior style obstacle course that would be Super <gasps> oh, Mario. Yeah. yeah. Wouldn't that make sense? Yes. yes. I've always wanted to do the Assassin's Creed obstacle course that they sometimes have at E3. What? Right? They have that. They, they like do it during, or maybe it wasn't during E3. Maybe it was during, I don't know, the Game Awards <gasps> or something. But they have the Assassin's Creed obstacle course sometimes, and it's never been there when I've been there. Oh, they did one for. Uh, not Hitman, Just Cause as well. They did one for Just Cause oh, 3, cool. I remember. With a zip line? Yes. Whoa! Yeah. Oh my God. Dang. That's amazing. And like the gun thing, I always feel like I would do real great with that, <laughs> and I would not. See, Troy, why would we have problems with this? Do you, no one should. Do you think, no, Pokemon wouldn't make a guest appearance, would it? <gasps> what if it was a Pokemon mm. snap ride and you could ah! take... Wow, that was a lot of screaming. <laughs> I'm sure everyone else listening to this just screamed with us. But you, you'd be a little cart and you'd have to take pictures of the Pokemon. <laughs> oh, no. It's too good. It's too good. What if you could like print out your photos at the end? <sighs> God, that would be the best way and to be, be like, I'd be like, here's your money. Take it. An AR camera so that your friends could be in the shot too. Yeah. <laughs> there are probably a lot of special like Pokemon Go Pokemon all over at the park too, I imagine. I thought of a torturous ride because it's me. Okay, you know, what are those rides called that you know where like, okay, everyone is strapped into this thing and then it just goes up really high and then it stops and then it drops. Oh, wait, the Tower of Terror? Like, but oh, you're like strapped like into this. it. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. No, like, it doesn't swing. Not like the boat. The one that just goes vertically. Oh yeah, yeah. That thing. That elevator. Yeah. Okay, uh, that thing. But it's uh, Lucky Two's Cloud. Oh ah. my god. And then you all have fishing poles. Yes. And you have to catch fish on your terrifying descent down. And if you catch one, you get a prize. Yes. <laughs> oh my god. Put Ashley yes. on theme park duty. Uh, just all these god. hooks flying around. Don't. No, it will be safe. They're, they're magnetic. They're safe for children. <laughs> Once you go up, you ain't come back down from this one. <laughs> oh, my God. Tower of Terror, Pe- Peach's Castle. Spooky mm, Peach Castle. Well, I was thinking about the Haunted Mansion, but uh, you take the photos and all these boos are behind <gasps> you. Oh, yeah. Oh, Luigi's Mansion. AR boos. Oh, oh my God. Oh, yeah. I want a Luigi's Mansion ride so bad. Okay, you guys know that ride? Um, it's like a spaceship, and you're inside it, and you're like leaning against the wall, and the wall is sort of like, it's some kind of carpeted material. Is this the oh, Gravitron? Yeah, the like, staticky one, yeah. So you flip over because it's going, it's spinning. Basically, circle. like, it, you get stuck to the wall, and yeah. you move up and down the wall so, as it's spinning. Okay, I have a very vivid memory because I've always wanted to go in. It was called the Gravitron. Uh-huh. It was at the carnival at my, lo- my local high school, and I waited until I was old enough to finally ride it. I finally rode on it. I was like, so excited, most excited I've ever been on my life. I get on there, start spinning. And then I look over, I turn, and I see my friend, her, she, like she flips around and then she like starts climbing the walls oh, like yeah. Spider-Man. And you know what I did? I looked down at, at my left forearm and I was trying to get up too, but I couldn't. Yeah. Like the force was so strong and I remember like looking at my puny ass forearm <laughs> and my little wrist bones almost popping out of my fucking skin because I was like, I want to climb the wall with my friend and I couldn't and I never did this and sounds I don't, like a nightmare this, it was horrible I didn't have a good time I would. I wanted to do Spider-Man climb but I couldn't because I was too weak I remember seeing people do that too and being like I will never have happiness <laughs> like them at first I was thinking that could be like Star Fox and it's like a barrel Ooh. roll the whole time 
and you're just doing a constant barrel roll and getting stuck. That sounds nightmarish. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> it's just um, what's his name? The, the bad, what's the his hair? Name? What's his name? Slippy? No, it's the toad. Peppy. It's Peppy yelling at you the whole time. There's a there is a ride at Disney World now that is just basically a very very fast car that just shoots you like straight. Perfect. What? Yeah, it's cool. Where? Just where a very, do you very go? Like, where do you go? <laughs> what? <laughs> it slows down at the end, but it. Right to the parking but lot. That's the. It just that's it. It's it, a long track. It's just a line. Yeah. Is it, that sounds awful. Or a, or a big loop. I can't remember. But yes. And you. But you get to design your car beforehand oh. on these little computer screens. Aww. And they're playing Tracy Chapman's fast car the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> but it's only long enough for her to say, oh, "You got a fast car." And it's over. And you're screaming, and she's going, "I got a fast car." It's so soothing and so scary at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> 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 oh my god. You're gonna, we're going right. to have to turn the levels in this section down so much. On that note, thank you so much for listening to the Polygon show. Hey, we're going to be in Nashville in May for Pod X, and you can find those tickets at podx.com slash TPS. You can find all the information about it, tickets, whatever you want to know. It'll be there. We're currently like planning the, the schedule, the, what our schedule will be while we're there. Uh, I know it will involve hot chicken um, and also content, hot chicken and content. If you'd like to send an email to us, please send it to polygonshow at polygon.com. Thank you so much to everyone who does. And if you like the show, please review it on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify. Uh, Share it with your friends on Twitter or I-R-L-O-L. Thank you so much, everyone. This has been...